This is Sportsnet Today with Logan Gordon on your official home of the Flames. Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Kicking off hour two of the program on this Thursday. Is it Thursday, Cam? It is correct. It is a Thursday. This is the 19th of the 20th. Double check. You already know it's 420. Smoke them if you caught them. I don't know. Be safe. Have Are you promoting illegal no, substance use? It's not illegal. Nothing's illegal here. If you're of a certain age, you're perfectly fine. With anything, be careful. Moderation. Have fun. Now you make me feel like I've promoted something I shouldn't have, Taylor. Got some research to do on what you can and cannot bring up. Eh, too late now. This is Sportsnet Today. I'm Logan. That's Cam and Taylor. They're my outstanding production duo here on the afternoons. We're coming to you live from the Doug Lacey's Basin Systems downtown studios here in Calgary, Alberta, Canada. Best time of the year sports-wise, or at least one of the best times of the year sports-wise. Playoff hockey, you're sitting at four games a night. Baseball's going. NBA playoffs. There's a lot going on. And that means there's a lot going on for our chat with our pal Adnan Verk, MLB Network, NHL Network, the Cinephile Podcast. Uh, you know him, you love him. He joins us every Thursday here on the program. Mr. Verk, good afternoon, sir. How are you? I'm doing great, Logo. Uh, it's funny. I, I, there's a lot of talk here on Twitter about blue check marks. I didn't even realize my blue check mark was gone. Like, I'm aware that. Elon Musk has taken over. I'm aware mm. that I, I, somebody said you're going to pay $8 a month for blue check mark, but a lot of hullabaloo around this, and I really couldn't even care less. So I, <laughs> somebody mentioned it to me, and I, I, I just said before we hopped on, I said, let me just, because I retweet you, and I yeah. always add to my story. So I checked, and it, it looks like the blue check mark is gone. I, I had no idea. I really couldn't care less. I don't think it really matters. I still have 112,000 followers, whatever the heck that means. So <laughs> here we are. Bye bye, blue check mark on 420. Oh, it was a tough, uh, tough day when uh, the guy making all the decisions says goodbye to that. But uh, we'll uh, we'll try to soldier on without that uh, little piece of validation, and uh, we'll continue to trust that you're the right Adnan <laughs> Verk on Twitter. But uh, uh, Verky, how are you, man? Busy time of year. You're getting through it all right. Yeah, it's great, man. It's uh, as you said. As a sports fan, there's nothing better. You know, normally you you go home and okay, what's on tonight? Let me see what I should tonight. You just know it's. It's going to be sports every single night. You go, okay, NHL playoffs, NBA playoffs, Major League Baseball. So it's it's been great, man. I just I love channel surfing. There's nothing worse for me than if there's only one game on, or God forbid, nothing of interest. So I just always like flipping around. So yesterday, um, and all week, I mean, this is Judge Otani. We've been talking about here at MLB Network. Amazing. I mean, Judge robs Otani of a home run and then hits a home run himself. So that was awfully cool. The Panthers beat the Bruins. I was thrilled about that. <laughs> God, I don't like the Bruins. I'd love to see Florida pull off an upset. And in the basketball, I don't think I was really watching yesterday, but I am amazed at the fact 
the Warriors are down to a spot they've never been in with Steph Curry. They have to go back to 2007. The Warriors, like the Baron Davis years, but they've never been down 0-2. So there's, there's lots of good storylines, man, in every sport. Uh, from a personal storyline, you'll have to walk me through how this goes. Uh, I believe Ramadan ends this evening, correct? You nailed it. It's my final fast. I'm so tired. I got to tell you, man, I cannot wait until sundown time. As you know, people think, oh, the end of the marathon, you feel better. No, every, every step becomes harder, right? It's 29 straight days of 14-hour fast. No, I'm like, dude, is, is it sunset yet? So we're, we're four and a half hours away, time ticking down. So, yeah, I'll, I'll eat tonight as I have been. And tomorrow's called Eid, E-I-D. You can just say Happy Eid. And uh, it's great. We're going to go to the mosque in the morning and then – uh, go out for lunch. My wife's got some family in Long Island, uh, but my folks are down visiting. They want to spend eat with us, so it's uh, it's great, man. We're just gonna we're just gonna hang out. My my cousin's actually visiting. He kind of he's tempting me to maybe maybe going uh, Jays Yankees tomorrow. Jays in town facing the Yankees for a three game set. But again, as you pointed out, the sports are so good. I don't want to miss anything. I kind of want to watch Knicks playoff game at thirty. So I don't know. I I might be uh, might be checking out the Jays and Yankees tomorrow night. Well, congratulations on your run. Uh, to the end of Ramadan, uh, good job on you, man. Appreciate that, and we'll good. I know it'll be some good food over the next couple of days for you to to dive into as you uh, get into the sport. We got lots to talk about here. Uh, we're gonna start with baseball because uh, something you and me have talked about for a long time seems to finally be coming to a head, and that's that the Oakland A's are had uh, no longer gonna be the Oakland A's, Adnan. They have purchased land in Las Vegas for a new thirty thousand to thirty five thousand seat arena and uh, are going to move to Vegas in the next couple of years. What did you make of this when you heard the news? Yeah, it feels a lot more momentous than it should. Like when you hear a Major League Baseball team is leaving, you go, wow, like that doesn't happen very often. We know what it's like being in Canada when the Expos left to go to the Washington Nationals, and it's always been a really unqualified success there. But in the case of the A's, a few thoughts, one of which is just the kind of sadness, the fact that it's, they're no longer really Oakland Athletics. And I remember going up. In the late 80s, I'm a little bit older than you, but like the Bash Brothers was the thing. Like Canseco and McGuire and just amazing crowds there for, you know, Dave Stewart, Carter Lance, for all those teams. Like they, they won a World Series, and it was really a great baseball city and a tremendous rivalry with the Giants. But I think over time, what's happened is that that park is just brutal. And I remember going to the Co. years ago with my wife, and I didn't think it was horrific. I mean, it gets talked about like it's a, you know, borderline atrocity. I just remember this the foul territory was insane. It was so far away and just so much space there. But I actually I didn't think it was as, as awful as everyone says. Say one thing it was very cheap. I think the parking was like fifteen bucks. The <laughs> ticket was like ten bucks. I remember thinking, hey, I'm going to see a major league baseball game and it's really cheap. But listen, for years they've known they've got to get a different arena stadium. Hasn't worked out. I thought it should go to San Jose. San Jose's got like a million people. Like they've got a really robust population. But, of course, the Giants wouldn't allow that. They've got territorial rights there. So I always thought San Jose A's made the most sense because it's a very dense area and they've got lots of money there in Silicon Valley. But bottom line is it couldn't work out a deal. And now Oakland realizes, you know what, we'll go to Vegas, build a billion-dollar stadium, and um, I think it's been really successful. We've seen just how good Vegas has been for sports with the Knights and obviously with the Raiders. And, and baseball's I don't think going to be any different. So it's, like I said, a little sad. Think of the Oakland A's are going to no longer be. We'll have some more time to enjoy because it's still a few more years. It looks like 2027 is when we'll start play there, and they'll, they'll break around next year. So still a few more years here of the A's. But, um, yeah, it, it feels like a pretty big shift now. It's, a, it's amazing to think about, too, man. Like five, ten years ago, you couldn't have thought there would ever be a team in Vegas. And now 
<laughs> you're gonna have three professional teams there. It's it's wild. Yeah, all of a sudden becoming a major sport destination on the map in the United States. I know for for a long time it was okay. You definitely want to go to California, and whether you're a hockey fan or baseball fan or football fan, there's a ton. I've been to the New York area to catch a bunch of different sports at New Yankee Stadium or, you know, heading out to see the Giants and the Jaguars a couple of years ago. Those are always kind of the ones that you think of. First off, now all of a sudden Las Vegas has a little bit of everything. And would it stun you, Adnan, to see a, a basketball team sort of finalize that the sporting landscape in Vegas? It feels like the NBA is just the last market to to look at it. And I could see a handful of their franchises look at that and say, why wouldn't we go to Las Vegas and shoot, try to find a new market there? Yeah, it almost feels surprising that basketball might be the last one there of the four major sports teams. So you're going to go from literally no teams being there to four, like in a 10-year span, potentially, if basketball hops aboard. And the reason I mention it's surprising is that they always have summer league there. So mm-hmm. I always think of basketball in Vegas because of the summer league there. So I would have thought, you know, they'd be the ones to first jump ship. And instead it was, it was hockey that, that planted their, their uh, flag on the ground. Good to Gary Batman in the league for recognizing it could make sense. And, and even now, in retrospect, it feels a little silly, right? Oh, we can't have it there because of gambling. Like, what do you mean? Like, gambling's everywhere now. Like, gambling's always been everywhere, but now it's, it's okay. We're, we're profiting on it all over the place. It's kind of like with marijuana. You're referring to it with 420 before everyone was doing it. No one can talk about it. Now it's legalized in 20 states. You know, I saw this thing on the, the news. It was like, People, Americans spend more money on marijuana than chocolate, like by a wide margin, which is crazy to me because I don't buy marijuana and I love chocolate. So I'm like, okay, well, you know, like, life changes. I mean, like the, the numbers is crazy, Logan. It was like people, Americans spent apparently $18 billion on chocolate, $30 billion on weed. I'm like, wow, that's not even closing. That's a lot of marijuana being bought here. But I'm like, hey, this is life. And eventually, by the way, all those states are profiting off it because of the tax. So everybody is winning here. People are getting high. People are making money. And in the case of gambling, people have always gambled. Now they're gambling more, and the states are winning because they're legislating it and getting the tax and all the rest of it. So uh, um, it really shouldn't be shocking, but it's just surprising how quickly it's come. But, again, people see success, and they want to jump on top of it. They have seen how successful the Knights have been. Like, like on the local news, the Knights, like, lead the broadcast. It's yeah. crazy. That's how popular that team is, right? So, And football, obviously, is football. That's not going to lose. So it's, uh, it's really cool. I've been to Vegas a few times, especially for the last four or five years, because I had to go for zone for the fights. So I've seen that ship. Like, I've been around town, seen the Vegas nice jerseys, and, and it's always just a cool place to be, obviously. Everyone always thinks of the strip and all the gambling. But even as a non-gambler, I like it just walking around. I don't have the people watching, right? Elvis impersonators, bright lights everywhere. <laughs> uh, my wife and I went and saw a show there. Went to the Grand Canyon years ago. From Vegas, you can take a quick uh, ride out to the Grand Canyon. So. Mm-hmm. I've done that. Uh, they got the mob museum out there, which I loved. What that was really cool. I mean, I got you know some silly, silly pictures of me wearing a fedora. You know, me and my love of the, the mafia. So, dude, Vegas. Uh, trust me, everyone going to Vegas. There's plenty of fun stuff to do beyond just the usual gambling and carousing. Uh, so another Oakland team is on their way to Las Vegas. Uh, another guy on the move. We just don't know where to is uh, Madison Bumgarner. He is DFA'd by the Arizona Diamondbacks today, Verkin. Uh, what looking back is a pretty awful contract for the Diamondbacks. It's been an awful time uh, for Madison Bumgarner in Arizona. I know you guys, as part of MLB Tonight, uh, gave some live reaction to this. Just give us your thoughts on what you heard from uh, you know, your coworkers today and sort of the news around what was one of the most prominent pitchers in baseball not all that long ago, having a pretty big fall from grace today. 
Yeah, it's pretty stunning how far he's fallen, man. Like, I remember when the Diamondbacks signed him, I thought that was a reasonable deal. Like, five years, uh, I think it was $90 million. Like, you know, $18 million. You're like, that, that, seems, that seems pretty good. Like, this is a guy who's one of the best postseason pitchers of his era. I believe his playoff ERA is 2.21, and nobody will ever forget just how good he was for the Giants in the playoffs, particularly in 2014. I mean, I, I just, like, that was amazing when he came out of the bullpen for the Giants. I mean, I think it was like the fourth inning or the fifth inning, and he was just absolutely shut them down and was clearly a guy that you could rely on. But it's undeniable how bad he's been with the Diamondbacks. Like, they signed this contract. Again, I think it's pretty good value, under $20 million a year for a guy like Mad Bum. And then every year, year the ERA has climbed. Like, you can't just use the excuse, oh, it's COVID or this and that, adjustment period. No, like, he's been awful. And what's happened is this year – the Diamondbacks are actually pretty good. And who knows what can happen in the West. They feel like, hey, maybe this is our year. Padres offense, they're going to get a jolt from a man Tatis coming back tonight. But their offense is really slumping. Juan Soto is sitting like 210. Um, he still walks a ton, but his slugging is awful. He's slugging like 418. Machado's had a bad start to the season. That's surprising as well. He's sitting like 210. The Dodgers haven't gotten rolling. They're under 500. So if you're the D-backs, you're like, we're 11-8. and eight. We have a two-game lead over the Dodgers, two-and-a-half of the Padres. That probably won't continue, but we are better than expected. And every time Bumgarner's out there, he's costing us. You know, is an ERA north of 10. Like a 10 ERA, it's crazy. Like it's a far cry from where he was with the Giants. Um, I said 90 million. It's actually 85 million. So 17 million a year, he felt like it was pretty good. Like it was really heralded when he signed because of what he'd done in the past. But the numbers don't lie, Logo. Three World Series he wins. 119 and 92, 313 ERA. With Arizona, 15 and 32 wins and losses and a 5.23 ERA in 69 starts. Like that's, when your ERA jumps by two runs, that shows it was a disastrous signing. Do you see anybody picking him up at the league minimum for a veteran for the rest of the season? Take a look at him. Yeah, I always think it, it has to be an option just because a guy like him with his pedigree, you go, you're not paying much, as you said. It's it's major league minimum, right? So whatever that is, it's not going to be much money that you're paying. Let's just give him a shot. I always feel like a guy like him will get another chance, but I don't think there's going to be a lot of chances, and I don't think it's going to be a contender. Like, I think he may have to kind of take a step back. I kind of like it to a, a rule this Chapman. You know, he's obviously has a tremendous career, has success with the Yankees. Things don't work out last year. Looks around. Nobody wants him. Okay, I'll go to the Royals for a year and $5 million, which is less than you expect him to get. Now, if he pitches well, uh, the Royals will give him another deal, or he'll go somewhere else, and things will improve. So, similarly for Madbum, he's, he's seemingly pitched forever, right? He pitched when he was 19 years old, and he's in his early 30s. You'd like to think he's got at least two years left, but he is so bad, um, it's going to be tough to get really what he wants. So, I think he may have to go to a, a lesser team and get his chance. Uh, one more baseball story to get to with you. It's an interesting one coming out of New York, and that's this uh, Max Scherzer foreign substance issue that came up the other day when he was pitching against the uh, Dodgers. Had to switch gloves uh, because the umpires apparently found a foreign substance on his glove or hand. They didn't toss him for that. They tossed him for arguing about it between innings. He says it was just rosin and sweat and swears on his kids' lives. He's nothing. He'd never touched anything. They'd be stupid to do it. All that sort of stuff. Says he even washed his hands thoroughly with alcohol in front of MLB officials between the innings to prove that he wasn't using anything. But the most interesting part to me about this, Verk, was his agent, Scott Boris, taking aim at the umpires. And don't get me wrong, 
the umps in baseball at the best of times don't have the best reputation when it comes to, you know, decision-making and on-the-spot sort of decisions. But Boris sort of, you know, implying that the MLB needs to employ some sort of non-subjective party to, to make these decisions instead of the umpires. I believe he used uh, the term, uh, the cozy on-field spectrometer is not the answer, referring to uh, the umpire in the game there and said that the umpires just have, you know, a, a noted, they just don't have the, the ability to make that sort of decision. What did you think of this whole situation? Do you agree with Boris in the fact that, you know, maybe there should be something that is a little bit more subjective when it comes to checking pitchers and making those sort of calls? Well, it was a wild situation, and so often it doesn't happen when I'm watching a sport live. Normally, we get an alert on our Twitter, now minus the blue checkmark. We'll get it on our phone. <laughs> you know, some, you know, somehow some way the information gets to you. But I was actually watching that Mets game. I was at work. I was watching it live, and I was stunned. Like, I, honestly, I was like, whoa. Like, you felt uh, the jolt when you see Scherzer arguing, arguing, then gets tossed. I'm like, oh, my God, it was the best broadcast, it's, you know. My buddy Ron Darling, Keith Hernandez, like, oh, my God, Max is going nuts. And I thought Buck Schulter was pretty calm about it. But here's the thing. When I looked at the situation afterwards, and we talked about last night, Jake Peavy, who I, I love and respect, former signing award winner, three-time World Series champion, talked about it with Alex Avila today, 13-year veteran who caught Scherzer for a long time. The problem is this. The league has tried to crack down a member of the whole sticky substance and all the pine it's not pine tar, whatever the hell it was called. You know, spider sack was what it was called. Yeah. Everyone's going nuts about that, right? They cracked down. Apparently, it went away because we're looking at spin rates and all the rest of it. So, you know, every year, the umpires are doing their jobs and are clearly being mandated. Guys, clean this up and focus on this. So I think in this instance, you know, they checked Scherzer, Phil Cuzzy, and uh, Dan Bellino, and his hand's a little sticky. And so they tell him, hey, you got to go wash off your hand. Max complies. All right, no problem. Then the second time it was, all right, the glove. Something was sticky in the glove. You got to get a new glove. All right, sure, do it again. But the third time, like, what are these guys supposed to do? And I think it goes back to what happened to Domingo Herman the other day for the Yankees. He got checked, and apparently it's some sticky substance, took care of it, and it was sticky again, and stayed in the game. And Rocco Baldelli went crazy, the Twins manager. Like, what are you talking about? This guy's a sticky substance. How's he still in the game? So I'm not saying there's a definite cause and effect. I'm simply pointing out the fact that it is tricky because the league and the umpires have this challenge to crack down on pitchers using any sort of foreign substances. And no matter what the deterrents are, guys are always going to try to get an advantage and use something if possible. So I don't necessarily think Max Scherzer was cheating. As he himself said in his quote, you know, I washed my hands from official. I'd have to be a pretty big idiot to then go and cheat after knowing I'm going to get checked. I've been checked twice. I'm going to get checked again. Now, that may be the case, but, and here's the important thing, I look, because he kept saying it was rosin. He kept saying it was rosin, it was rosin. But rosin, there's a rosin bag first off on the mound. You're only allowed to use it on the mound. You're not supposed to use it in the dugout. So first off, he may have been using it in the dugout, what you're not supposed to do, and it really is the thing, is the overuse of rosin. Now, how do you determine that? I don't know. But the point that Alex Avila made to me, the catcher, was, if you use a lot of rosin and you mix it with sweat, that makes things very sticky. And he said, as a catcher, he would do that himself on his left arm because throwing the ball back, doesn't want to sweat, doesn't want his arm, you know, dripping sweat, et cetera. So if you put rosin on that thing, mix it with sweat, it's kind of, kind of you know, uh, tacky, so to speak. But the umpires were very specific in saying it wasn't tacky, it was sticky. And Phil Cousin and Dan Blino said, I know that sounds Mickey Mouse, but trust us, 
We've been doing this a long time. And Dan Bellino said, in the three years since we've been checking, guys, that's the stickiest it's ever been. And he, me and Phil both, like, had this stuff on our fingers. Like, after touching Max Scherzer's hand, our fingers were sticky, and it took us a while to get the stick off. And it got stickier over time. So, again, I'm not saying Max Scherzer is using an illegal substance. I think he's being correct when he's saying it was rosin. But if it's the overuse of rosin, and if it's that sticky, then I do think the umpires are going with the letter of the law. And, again, I think if you just did it once and tossed him, that's not fair. But they said it once, he cleaned himself. The second time, get a new glove. The third time, really, what are you supposed to expect these guys to do? And it's kind of like speeding. If you say, well, everyone speeds. Nobody drives the speed limit. Yeah, I know. But if you do go over the speed limit, you are supposed to get a ticket. That is the letter of the law. And mm-hmm. it's unfortunate for the Mets because, dude, that division's tough. They're going to lose Scherzer for two starts, one of which against the Braves. They're already missing Verlander. So that's, uh, it's a really sticky situation for the Mets. Uh, what's the vibe like sports-wise where you're at, Verk? Uh, I saw the infographic on ESPN uh, ahead of, I think, game one for the Rangers and the Devils. And, look, you've obviously got baseball going on. The New York area is just filled with playoffs, regular season baseball. Obviously, you've got the Knicks and the Nets, NBA playoffs. Is there a legitimate sports buzz about, you know, at least one? I guess the Islanders are there, too. Uh, is there a big sports buzz around your area with everything going on? Oh, it's unbelievable, dude. It's the first time since 94 all the NHL and NBA teams made the playoffs. Yeah. So I obviously was not here. I was, you know, 16, living in uh, Kingston at the time. So I can really feel the buzz. I was talking to a couple of my neighbors the other day, and he was like, you know, he's a huge baseball fan. So we were talking Yankees and Mets, and he goes, yeah, but everything else is wild. I'm like, yeah. I go, especially of those teams, Rangers, Devils going head-to-head. That's a lot of fun for as far as territorial rights are concerned. You know, there's more Rangers fans here, but we do live in Jersey, and everyone knows their great run of success in the three cups, and and have had more success than the Rangers recently. The Islanders, as you said, you put them in the mix, they're probably not going to beat Carolina, especially now about being down 2-0. But one of those three hockey teams is going to advance. Maybe it's the Rangers, so that'll be fun, at least for locals in the area. And then the basketball, as I told you, I mean, I kind of want to watch the Yankees, but I kind of want to watch this Knicks game tomorrow. So, I, I mean, the Knicks are kind of taking over everywhere because it's so rare for that team to have success. And I do think Nick Cass is a fun match against Donovan Mitchell, Julius Randle, Brunson, and, of course, our Canadian R.J. Barrett. And then there's the Nets. So, again, they're not going to win their series. They will probably get bounced. But, yeah, it's, it's a good time to be a sports fan because baseball is always very popular where I live in North Jersey. But to have five other teams in the playoffs, NHL, NBA, then you're talking seven teams. Like I said, every night, you know what to do. There's going to be a sport on, especially for those of us right now in the local area. Uh, as far as NHL playoffs are concerned, another four games on the schedule tonight, and I don't know if anybody can look further than the Leafs and Lightning. Uh, Verk Michael Bunting suspended three games for his uh, careless hit in game number one. And uh, look, Toronto might get lucky if Tampa's down a couple of defensemen, but I can't imagine what the fallout would be in Toronto if this is another series that gets away from Toronto in round one. They just can't seem to figure out this lightning team at least not in any way shape or form that makes it easy on themselves oh uh, dude i mean we, we've said all along the fact that if they if they lose this series heads are gonna roll and i thought it would happen last time like a year ago i'm like all right they've had enough of this if something happens something major to happen and then nothing did <laughs> like i was wrong i'm like oh i'm like they'll trade one of their big four keith is gonna go and nothing happened of, of major consequence so this year like we all know okay Deep breath. It's been seven straight first-round exits 
They haven't been out of the first round since 2004. If this experiment doesn't work, and you and I both know Dubas traded for every possible defenseman he could at the deadline. He was like, all right, I'll take whatever we can get. Like, they made a bunch of moves where he's sacrificing the future just to win a round. If they don't do it, then heads are going to roll. I think Brendan Shanahan's safe. He's the president. But I think Keith's out of a job, absolutely, the coach. I think Dubas is out of a job. He's your GM. And I think some major moves got to get made. Like, I think Matthews is untouchable. But they'll tr- and, and Marner had a phenomenal season. But maybe they will say, okay, what's the market out there for a Willie Nylander? What can we get for John Tavares? Like, you've you got to start to shake things up. Because that was a deplorable game one result. I mean, if you look on paper, if you try to remove what you know about each team, if you don't know how jinx the Leafs have been and the Lightning have won cups, if you just said, okay, look at it on paper, just as hockey fans, Leafs should win, right? They had, what, 15 more points. They have home ice, like Leafs in six, Leafs in seven. But once you know all the histories, you go, how the hell are you going to pick the Leafs? And you can totally picture Vasilevsky out playing Samsonov, which is exactly what happened in game one. To give up seven goals like that, and as they said in the broadcast, you know the worst possible case for the Leafs is this. They have a great game, too, but Vasilevsky stands in his head, and they lose, like, on a bad bounce in overtime. Like, calamitous. At that point, it's over. Like, they're down to going to Tampa. Forget about it. So this is the must-win of, of must-wins. It's the most important game for the Toronto Police in the last 20 years. And I think they win tonight, and they better hope so, because otherwise it could be a sweep. Uh, what do you got going on on uh, Cinephile this week? I know you talked to your good buddy uh, Ray Romano uh, about his new movie that he's got coming out uh, somewhere in Queens, I believe. Is that the, the new one with Ray? Yeah, fantastic movie. I was able to get him on the podcast on Cinephile, and he's great. 20 minutes. Uh, he's funny. He's engaging. The movie's really well done. He directed it. He co-wrote it. And it's I would call it a dramedy because it's not really funny. Ha-ha. Like, because it's Ray Romano and Sebastian Maniscalco playing his brother, there's going to be some laughs, but it's really dramatic. I, I was impressed how well he directed it. It's, it's a really sweet movie. It's about an Italian-American family and the youngest son uh, getting some love, potentially play college basketball, gets in a relationship. Dad gets involved, and I will spoil it no further. But it was really uh, charming and, and really well done by Ray. So hopefully he directs more. But you got to listen to the pod. He tells stories about the Irishman, working with Scorsese, working with De Niro. Uh, he tells her about The Big Sick, which I loved. Really funny movie. And Men of a Certain Age, which is a good show he did, which was autobiographical as well. So Romano is great. Also, the stunning Monica Bellucci. The amount of guys who be like, wait, is that the Monica Bellucci? Clearly, people are still in love with her for <laughs> 20 years. She was in uh, you know, the Bond movie Spectre. She was in uh, The Passion, Tears of the Sun, Bruce Willis, the Matrix sequels. And yes, it is that same Monica Bellucci. She still takes my breath away. When she popped up on the Zoom, I said, oh, my God. I mean, she's 58. Do a quick Google search right now. She's in the film Mafia Mama. 58 years old, Logan, Mamma Mia. I mean, she looks unbelievable. <laughs> so I was, I was, uh, it's the Italian American edition of Cinephile. I got Ray Romano and I got a real Italian, Monica Bellucci. One really funny, one gorgeous. I hope people check it out. Uh, Virk, you take our breath away, pal. We uh, always appreciate the time. <laughs> uh, again, congrats on the end of Ramadan, my man. Uh, so proud of you. I know it's always a, a tough time working around it and doing what you guys do, but uh, congratulations to you guys. Uh, have a great evening tonight. Eat well, and we will chat with you again next week, eh? Uh, so thoughtfully, buddy. I appreciate it. You know, one thing I will miss is this. 
when you're starving yourself all day at night, you really do indulge. So I must admit, for the last 30 days, I've been drinking Pepsi and Haagen-Dazs <laughs> ice cream bars. So that's going to be sad that that ends after tonight. Because if it continues, I'm going to look a lot bigger over the next 30 days. Thank you, brother. <laughs> Take care, Adnan. Adnan for joining us every Thursday for his regular chat down the Atlas Beach and Sports Bar guest hotline, MLB Network, NHL Network, and the Cinephile Podcast. You can follow him on Twitter at Adnan S. Verk uh, joins us tonight. Literally anything, but uh, so much baseball stuff going on. The Oakland A's are moving to Vegas. Uh, they'll be there by 2027, building a new stadium out there. Uh, Madison Bumgarner, DFA. There's so much hockey going around right now in the New York area uh, where Verk is with the Rangers, the Islanders, the Devils, Knicks, Nets, all in action for playoffs and basketball and hockey. Uh, always the perfect time to check in with Adnan, like we do every single Thursday. I'll take a break, come back on the other side. Another four NHL games on the schedule tonight to look forward to. We'll get you teed up for another night of the Stanley Cup playoffs around the corner here on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. You're listening to Sportsnet Today with Logan Gordon on the home of the Flames. Sportsnet 960 The Fan. If L.A. had thrown that puck into an Edmonton skate, it would have been too many men. Oh, yeah. Here's a steal by Costin in the neutral zone. Rishot score! Beat Corpusalo low glove and Cleve Costin, who has delivered effective minutes whenever called upon, has regained the lead for Edmonton. 3-2! to two. Clem Costin, the hero last night for the Edmonton Oilers. 2.20 into period number three. After a disastrous last six minutes of the second period for the Oilers, saw them have another multi-goal lead evaporate with goals by Philippe Deneau and Gabe Velarde. Oilers would respond early in the third period, and this time they would finish off the Kings with no problem. That series is now tied at one game apiece as we head to L.A. for game number three. That was just one of uh, four interesting games on the NHL calendar last night. We'll take a peek at those and look ahead to tonight's schedule. We're here on Sportsnet today. Logan Gordon along with you. My producers are Cam and Taylor in the other room. Starting with last night, before we jump into tonight's games, there's a couple of really interesting ones with some storylines from last night that we need to talk about. And it was one that, uh, Taylor, you'll remember this because you got it in our group chat that uh, all of us have with Pat. Um, Steinberg just texted us midway through last night and goes, is Mark andre Fleury in goal for the Minnesota Wild? We're like, yep, that's, that's a thing. That's something that did happen last night. And, um, he just sort of said, why? And we said, oh, I believe Dean Evison said something about continuing the rotation that the goaltenders had established during the regular season. Well, that didn't exactly work out well for the Minnesota Wild last night. It did, however, work out really well uh, for Rupe Hints. Stretch pass to Boldy, and he'll gain speed through center. Zone entry, Kaprizov. Gave it away. Rupe Hints short-handed. Hints moves in on Flurry. Scores! What an onside play. Molina plays it back to Johansson. That is a spring. Moving in his hands, breakaway, score! He does it again! Swept to the near side, Ben protects the puck. Softly to Haskinen. And now Robertson into traffic, Hintz, score! 
They did throw the hats. Rupe hints three goals and an assist as the Dallas Stars storm back with four goals in the second period to down the Minnesota Wild 7-3 last night in Dallas. Marc-Andre Fleury, like we said, got the start for Minnesota. Seven goals against, 24 saves on the night for a 774 save percentage. And... Taylor, I don't know if you felt the same way I did, but I was pretty stunned that they went to Marc-Andre Fleury last night in goal. It was kind of a wild decision. Is that a good pun? Is that what that was? It, it wasn't meant to be, but then halfway through saying it, I realized it was. It was, it was a good one. It was, still, it was not bad. It, it, it's still one that I just don't... The broadcast did their best to try to justify it a bit, saying, oh, look, you went to double overtime in game one. You don't want a, an exhausted goaltender and Philip Gustafson having to come in in game number two, tired. But I don't know. I, to me, that's just part of the Stanley Cup playoffs, and I would have a hard time going away from a guy that I think they said made 41 consecutive saves in game one to help them with that win and finished with 51 saves and a 962 save percentage. Philip Gustafson has a chance to be the goaltender of the future uh, for the Minnesota Wild. And while I respect Marc-Andre Fleury a lot, and there are certainly worse backup options, how many times can you think about teams that rotated goaltenders in the Stanley Cup playoffs, game in, game out, that went all the way to uh, a Stanley Cup victory? Those 51 saves by Gustafson, the most by a wild goaltender in their franchise history in the playoffs, by the way. Yeah, why are you going away from that? I just... I veteran just... presence. He's a veteran presence. <sighs> okay. I love Marc-Andre Fleury, and he is a fantastic goalie. But when you have Philip Gustafson, who kind of just took the reins in that first game, and in the playoffs, you want that player that... You know, you, you ride them until they lose or lose horribly. So it, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to throw Marc-Andre Fleury in there, even though he has so much Stanley Cup playoff uh, op- experience. experience yeah. he, he just, it would, it's a little, it's a little wild. weird. <laughs> it's a little wild. So it's a out there decision. Yeah, and here's what I'll say is I'm totally okay with if you have a strong backup goaltender like you do in Minnesota, having a short leash for Gustafson, right? To me, that makes more sense to saying, hey, look, I know I have a good backup option. Taylor, like you said, he's got a ton of Stanley Cup playoff experience. He's been a good goaltender for you all season long splitting duties. But when it comes to the the playoffs and it comes to who I'm starting day in, day out, that's not changing for me game after game, you're going to, you're a hundred percent right. That Philip Gustafson has to lose that job for me before I'm going to Mark Andre Fleury. And maybe it's a shorter leash because it is Mark Andre Fleury behind him. And you do feel confident putting him in the net. But to me, this was just a classic case of a coach overthinking it. Do you not want one of your guys to step up in game one, just like Philip Gustafson did when you've used a tandem all season long? I, that's uh, for me. That would be Boston last night going to Jeremy Swayman because him and Allmark now not quite the same split that they had in Minnesota, but both played a significant number of games. 
so all of a sudden Swayman's going to go into game two. I, it's just not a thinking line that I was okay with. I think it, I don't know that it was the deciding factor last night. I thought Minnesota just got pretty flat out at, outplayed by Dallas in a lot of aspects, but I just, I don't know. I, I wasn't, I wasn't on board with it. And now I wonder how Philip Gustafson feels heading into game three series tied. Yes. You're going back into Minnesota, but if you're Gustafson, you're like, okay, well I could make 60 saves tonight. Shut out the Dallas stars at home. And are you telling me you're going back to Mark Andre Fleury for game four? I mean, it also, their defense wasn't really there. And I feel like they let themselves not be up to, you know, the best that they can be with Marc-Andre Fleury behind because they know that Fleury can stop the puck. With Gustafson, because he doesn't have a lot of the experience, they will play a more structured style. Very fair. Yeah, and as the texture pointed out at 960-960, depends Marc-Andre Fleury wasn't given any help. And if Gus was crushed in game two, what does that do for his confidence? Uh, Yeah, look, I think for most NHL goaltenders, you've got to sort of have that water off your back level of of confidence going in. If you do have a bad game, it it, it just is what it is. But I kind of wonder about the reverse confidence in it, that your coach wasn't willing to go to you in game two after a 51 save performance in game one. That, that to me, is just sort of an almost reverse idea to the psychology of it and to the confidence level of it. Because if I was Philip Gustafson, I'd be like, okay, what else do you want me to do? Like, how else can I prove to you I'm ready to be the number one guy other than having a great performance in, you know, the first playoff game and you still went back to Marc-Andre Fleury? Sure seems like they're going to have to go to Gustafson in game three. Um, That would continue the rotation that, uh, Dean Evison was so keen on and keeping going into the playoffs, but uh, it's going to be one of those ones that we look at for sure. Other storylines from last night, Hurricanes pick up a 4-3 overtime victory against the New York Islanders. Jesper Faust is your uh, goal scorer late, uh, early in overtime, I should say, five minutes, three seconds in uh, from Burns and Stahl. That gives the Islander, or puts the Islanders down 2-0 in this series, but the bigger story for this one is Carolina is now down another forward, seemingly for the majority, if not the rest of the Stanley Cup playoffs, uh, already without Andre Svechnikov, already without Max Pacioretty, and now Tevu Teravainen uh, broke his hand in last night's game. He is out indefinitely, and that is three massive pieces for the Carolina Hurricanes that uh, they do not have going forward, and Teravainen, uh, an underrated piece of this Carolina team fits into what they do. Not really a superstar player, but a guy that's been pretty good at times during his NHL career. Uh, one time put up 76 points in 82 games for Carolina. A bit down this year with just 37 points in 68 games, but a top nine presence. And you got to be worried if you're Carolina, how you can replace that sort of depth in your lineup. I already mentioned the two guys there without um, in Svechnikov and Pacioretty. Now you take Tara Vinen out of that, and you're relying on some real young guys up and down your lineup. The Seth Jarvis's of the world, Jack Drury's going to have to step up big time for the Carolina Hurricanes and should potentially open the door now for a, a Yesapul Yarvi, perhaps, to get into the lineup uh, on a consistent basis 
uh, for the Carolina Hurricanes. They'll need uh, somebody to step up big with three regulars out of the lineup going forward. And then last night, of course, the other storyline to watch, the Florida Panthers take advantage of a a down-and-out Bruins team without uh, Patrice Bergeron for the second straight game. And it's playoff Sam Bennett, the player we know so well here in Calgary. Uh, 16-15 of ice time for Sam, who comes in, gets the goal, the game's first goal, a minute 42 in, assisted by his buddy Matthew Kachuk. He was physical. He was all over the ice last night, but in control and uh, certainly looked like he made a difference in that game. Panthers 6, Bruins 3, and uh, a four-goal third period from the Panthers leads to their first victory of the season, of this play, of the series, I should say. They are tied uh, one apiece, heading back to Florida for game number three. And uh, Matthew Kachuk's earlier prediction of, uh, like, it's going to be hard for us to even pick up a victory in the, in this entire series. Um, turns out that he was uh, probably laying it on a bit thick and pumping up the tires of the Boston Bruins. Uh, Bruins a good team this regular season, but still have to worry about the status of Patrice Bergeron going forward. And many in Boston wondering, goaltending question, do you go to Jeremy Swayman in game number three of that series? Um, that's going to be one to watch. Uh, not a great night for Linus Olmark. 24 saves, five goals against, and an 828 save percentage. What would you do in that one, Taylor? Would you go to Swayman if you're Boston or stick with Olmark? That one's that I mm, that one's hard. <laughs> I have no thoughts. Fair. Because Swayman's a phenomenal goalie, but Olmark has kind of taken the reins this season, and it could be different in the playoffs because he doesn't have much playoff experience or any. Whereas Swayman, I think he had some games last season. So it's it's a tough decision. I think one game doesn't decide Omar's playoff fate. Fair. Yeah, and good. he's going to be a Vesna candidate this year. He might win it. Uh so I'm I'm totally with you on that that I wouldn't be I wouldn't be jumping to switch if I was Boston. Um the split there was different than the split that Mark Andre Fleury and uh, Philip Gustafson had in Minnesota this year, so I think there's still reason to believe that Allmark's the guy they're going for, but it's one of those things that's always going to come up when you have uh, a strong backup goaltender. Uh, a couple of these here, uh, as we're talking goaltending and some of the decisions last night. Uh, this takes this could be an agreed upon split between Mark Andre Fleury and Gus. Uh, on the outside, it's strange, but it always depends on the coach's communication with his goaltenders. 100% true. Maybe that's. Uh, maybe they knew they were splitting the first two games. That could be an option for sure that uh, might have helped Philip Gustafson understand the decision heading into it. Uh, our pal Matt and Cochran texting in. Appreciate you, Matt, uh, saying a lot of coaches are galaxy-braining these playoffs, and it's blowing up in their faces. And uh, this one says, sorry, it's not hard. 100% going to Allmark in game number three. So that was the results last night. What about tonight's matchups on the playoff schedule? Thursday night, another four games. And it starts with perhaps the biggest of them all, the Tampa Bay Lightning and the Toronto Maple Leafs. Leafs will not have Michael Bunting in their lineup. He has been suspended three games for his hit on Eric Chernak. Like it, hate it, whatever. Good luck guessing what player safety is going to do. I thought that had one game written all over it. I don't think Bunting had any previous suspensions on his list. So I I thought he was going to get one. He gets three. That's a tough loss for the Toronto Maple Leafs and all of this, but on the other side, the injury stacking up for Tampa Bay. No Eric Chernak tonight. 
Uh, Victor Hedman is a game-time decision who did participate in morning skate. So he's an option, perhaps, for tonight. But if both of those guys are out, the Toronto Maple Leafs have no choice but to take advantage of Tampa Bay tonight and find a way. You cannot go back to Tampa down 2-0 against this team, given your history with them, given the fact they might not have Hedman and Chernak tonight. Got to be close to a must-win already for the Toronto Maple Leafs. All that pressure at home has to uh, quickly evaporate. Former Flame Kelly Yarncroke. Your boy, boy, Callie, centering a top line with Matthews and Marner uh, at practice for the Toronto Maple Leafs. John Tavares on line two with Alex Kerfoot and uh, NCAA signee, former first-round pick of the Toronto Maple Leafs, Matthew Nyes, will make his playoff debut on a line with Ryan O'Reilly and Noel Achari. Ilya Samsonov gets the start in goal. 5.30 on Sportsnet 360. We'll see if the Devils... Uh, got the game one jitters out of their way in game after that tough loss to the Rangers. Uh, Rangers certainly looked like the big brothers in game number one of this series. Uh, it's a 5.30 puck drop, Sportsnet 360. No major lineup changes expected for both sides in that one. Then at 7.30, you've got the Kraken and the Avalanche. Uh, this one uh, from Colorado. Seattle stole game one. Colorado looking to bounce back and uh, everyone expecting them to bounce back as well. Uh, Sportsnet 360 is going to have that game for you. Grubauer v. Gorgiev. And then your late one tonight in Vegas. It's the Jets. It's the Golden Knights. Hellebuck versus Brassois. Brassois, of course, taking on his former team. Sportsnet and CBC going to have the coverage of this game. Can the Golden Knights find a way to tie up this series uh, against the Jets before we head back to what should be a crazy crowd in Winnipeg ahead of games three and four? Uh, Winnipeg looked incredibly good in game number one. They need to continue that into game two, obviously, but you're expecting a pushback from the Golden Knights, Stone and Eichel talking amongst others about, hey, they just weren't good enough in game one. There just wasn't that intensity, uh, that desperation that the team needs. A bit strange to hear some of their leaders talking about that ahead of such an important game in game one, but we'll see if they've got the message through. They've got a big game tonight against Winnipeg, 8 o'clock. We'll also have that for you right here uh, for your listening pleasure on Sportsnet 960, The Fan. That'll do it for us on a Thursday. Uh, Thank you to Adnan Firk and Peter Labardius for joining us on the program. Thank you uh, for listening, whether live or on the podcast. If you texted in at 960-960, thank you as well. A shout-out to my outstanding producers, Cam and Taylor, for their great work as always on the program. We will be back with a Friday edition. We'll have some uh, conversations with Lou. Looking back on Flames goaltending, another edition of What Does Lou Say is coming your way as well. Uh, more NHL playoff action and uh, recover- and uh, reaction, coverage and reaction uh, on a Friday edition of the program will be uh, tomorrow. We're going to hand things over to uh, Hockey Central 960 with the one and only Haley Salvian. She's got you for the next hour. Hockey PDOcast, Dmitry Filipovich this afternoon. And then, of course, you don't want to miss Flames talk with the one and only Pat Steinberg. Uh, He's got the latest for you around the Calgary Flames coming up later on. Uh, We'll be back tomorrow. You're listening to Sportsnet 960, The Fan.